Well, this week we're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians and we're talking about the subject of marriage and sort of a two-part series on marriage. And since we're talking about marriage, I sort of was uh, scavenging around for some, some humor on marriage. And I found a joke uh, this week that uh, made me chuckle. And it's, a, it's about a couple, both 60 years old, and they had been married for 35 years. And they were together celebrating the fact that they had been married for 35 years and an angel appeared to them. And the angel was congratulating them on being faithful in marriage for that long and said that he was authorized to grant them each one wish. And so he turns to the wife and says, ladies first, what is it that you would like? And the wife thinks for a moment and she says, I've always wanted to be able to travel the world. And so... The angel says, fine, waves his hand, and poof, there appears two round-trip tickets uh, to see the world. He turns to the husband and says, what about for you? And the husband thinks for a moment. He says, well, actually, I've always wanted a wife who's 30 years younger than I am. So the angel says, okay, waves his hand, and poof, the husband is now 90. So... (laughs) I also found uh, what I think is a true story uh, of a little four-year-old girl who's the oldest child in her family and so very inquisitive, was asking uh, her dad about marriage one day, and the dad was trying to explain the concept of marriage, but it's sort of a, it's a difficult concept to grasp for a four-year-old, and he was thinking, how do I make this sort of more concrete for her? And so he thinks, well, hold on, he runs to the to the uh, bedroom and he gets out the wedding photo album of the marriage of him to his wife and he thinks perhaps the the pictures the visual images will help as he tries to explain the concept of marriage so he brings it down to her and he opens the pages and begins to go through it with her and he explains you know about the bride and the ceremony and the church and the reception and all the stuff that goes on and after he gets done with this big elaborate explanation of what happened at their wedding He says to his four-year-old daughter, does that help make some sense out of what marriage is? And the daughter looks at him and says, I think so. That's the day that mommy came to work for us, isn't it? (laughs) Now, I could go on (laughs) and on (laughs) because sadly, there's no shortage of jokes about marriage. In fact, there's probably nothing else in all of creation that is the subject to as many jokes as the institution of marriage. But that just goes to show how far the world has perverted what God created. You see, God didn't design marriage to be a joke, nor did he design it to be a curse. It was intended to be a blessing, a blessing to those who are married and a blessing to the world. But like everything that God has created, sin and Satan has touched and tried to steal from God. But God is too strong and too powerful for that. And the book of Ephesians is about how God is restoring all of creation. So it's no surprise that he sets his sight on the institution of marriage and that he refuses to give it over to being a joke, but instead wants to redeem marriage And to make it the thing that he created it to be a blessing to us and to the world. 
And so this morning, if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, it's page 829 in the Bibles that the church provides. There's one under your seat or in the rack in front of you. And we're going to continue our study of the book of Ephesians, but have a two-week series here on marriage. And in our passage, verses 22 to 33, both wives and husbands are being addressed. Now, the order in which Paul takes these is he talks to wives first and then to husbands. But the way we're going to approach this series is we're going to begin first with husbands this week and then talk to wives next week. And the reason we're doing that, well, there's actually a couple of reasons. The first is Paul uses an analogy and he compares husbands to Christ and wives to the church. And in that analogy, it's Christ's actions that come first. So we should think first about husbands, then about wives. Secondly, although in English when we read this passage, we're trained to think that whatever comes first is sort of the foundation and things build on that. And that's true for sort of our modern Western civilization. But Paul's using a literary technique that was familiar in his time called a chiastic structure in this passage. And that structure shows us that it's not what's first that's foundational, but what's in the center. And he's written this in such a way that the foundation of what he's saying begins with husbands. So for that reason, we're going to start this week and see what Paul has to say to husbands. And then next week, we'll look at what God has to say to wives. The side benefit is the husbands are already here. They can drag their wives back next week to hear what we have to say. Look with me as I read verses 25 to 33. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. In this passage from the Lord to husbands, God gives us one command and then three reasons why we want to obey that command. The one command that he gives to us is husbands, love your wives. Now, what does it mean to love your wife? Well, here God doesn't want us to be confused about what this means. 
The world has its own definition of love and God doesn't like their definition. So he defines it himself. And he says, if you want to know, husbands, what I mean when I say love your wives, the example I want you to look to is the love that Christ has for us. And he defines that love in one phrase. Christ gave himself up for us. That we, when we think about how God loves us, the essence of that love is that Christ gave himself up for us. Now think about that for a minute. Think about what Jesus gave up for you and I. He was in heaven where life was comfortable. There was no stress. There was no sin. There were no problems. And he was reigning on the throne of God. He was in charge. His interests were what were catered to. But we are told that he did not hold on to that position, but instead made himself nothing. He became human. He agreed to give up that comfort, that glory, that honor, and become one of us. He agreed to suffer, to be rejected, to be betrayed, and to die. He gave up everything for our sake. Paul says, husbands, you are to love your wives that way. You see, the key idea here is sacrifice. Now, the world's going to tell you that the key to marriage is compromise. I'm here to tell you that's absolutely wrong. It's a lie from Satan. There is nothing in the Bible about husbands compromising with their wives. After all, Jesus doesn't compromise with us. He doesn't say, well, I might consider coming down to die for you if you promise that you will be really, really good people and that you'll believe me when I do. No compromise, pure sacrifice. And God says to husbands, that's what I want from you. One thing, love your wives, which means give yourself up for her. Now, what does that look like? Well, Jim Dobson tells a story in one of his books about how when he was a young teenager, he began to wander into a rebellious attitude and he began to be uh, very difficult for his mom to handle. His father at the time was a successful Christian evangelist, which meant he traveled a lot. He was on the road speaking in various churches around the country and Jim Dobson tells a story that one day he was particularly giving his mom a difficult time and she just couldn't handle it anymore and she picked up the phone and she called his dad and Jim was eavesdropping on the conversation and she in her tears said, I need you, I need help. And to his dad's credit, that night, he quit his job as a traveling evangelist he canceled five years of scheduled speaking engagements. Moved back to California and took, actually moved from California and took a small church out in the middle of nowhere so that he could be there to help his wife. That was not in his best interest, nor in his career's best interest, but it was in his wife's best interest and in the interest of their son. That's 
an act of demonstrable, sacrificial love. That's what God's talking about. Not compromise. Not, hey, if you give me three more years on the road, I'll give you three years after that. Not that. Sacrifice. Giving himself, his career, those things up for her. I think about the couple in our church who when they were newlyweds a number of years ago, both were, uh, just had been married and one was offered a job, a very lucrative job opportunity. And the other, the spouse was offered a great schooling opportunity. The problem was, is those two opportunities were in two different cities. And as they were trying to decide which of those two opportunities to take, the husband felt convicted that to give himself up meant to go where her opportunity was. And so he turned down a lucrative job offer and moved to a city he had no job and began trying to find a place to work. That's an act of sacrificial love. That's what God's talking about here. Husbands, we can show sacrificial love to our wives in a number of different ways. One of those might be joining a small group because our wife needs the fellowship, wants to have those relationships. It may not be something we want to do, but it's in her best interest and so we do it. It may be taking two weeks vacation from work so that we can stay home with the kids so that she can go on a missions trip or she can go on vacation with friends or get some much needed rest. It might mean turning down a promotion because that promotion would require a lot more traveling and a lot more stress. It may even mean allowing a mother-in-law to live with us because it's in our wife's best interest, not because it's in our best interest. It can be a sacrifice to give up hunting or golfing or playing basketball once a week because it's in her best interest to be available to her. We can show sacrifice by getting up early with the kids to feed them breakfast and get them off to school so that she can sleep in. There's a million different ways, but Paul's point is one command, husbands, love your wives. Don't compromise with them. Give yourself up for them. Your dreams, your desires, your comforts sacrificed for her. Now, why? Paul gives us three reasons, husbands, why we want to do this. The first is found in verses 26 and 27. Now remember, Paul's got an analogy here between Christ and the church. So he's talking in verse 26 about Jesus and us. He says that Jesus gave himself up for us to make us holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The first reason why, husbands, we are to love our wives is because it transforms them. It transforms them. It's in their best interest for us to love them in this way. Now, we want to be careful at this moment. Paul is talking about Jesus loving the church And he says his love for us saves us from our sins and rescues us from eternal separation from God. We are not saying that husbands do that for their wives. But the point 
that Christ's love marks us out from this world as being special? That Christ's love purifies us from the contamination of this world? That Christ's love transforms us? Paul's saying that is true for husbands. That when a husband loves his wife sacrificially, it marks her out as being special. It purifies her from the contamination of this world. It separates her out as being a unique and amazing person. Just last week, Lisa and I were on vacation. And we were, the place where we were had a workout facility. And Lisa wanted to get up every morning to work out. And I thought, when I get back, I'm going to have to preach about husband sacrifice. And so (laughs) I decided to get up and work out with her. And one day, uh, it was very sad, while we were working out, a a guy came in. It wasn't a Christian place where we were. Uh, A guy came in, and he was wearing a T-shirt that said, porn is fun. And trailing behind him was his girlfriend. And you could just see in her eyes this dejected, defeated, unloved spirit that was in her. And as she got on the elliptical machine nearby where we were working out, you could tell she was trying desperately to transform herself into somebody that he would pay attention to. Somebody that would make him take off that ridiculous t-shirt. Someone that would would make him stop doing those things. See, that's what the world tells you is if you're beautiful enough, if you're successful enough, if you're popular enough, if you're any of these things, then people will love you. But God says we do it differently, husbands, that we're following the example of Christ who loved us not because we were beautiful, not because we were holy, not because we were wonderful, but in order to make us those things. That husbands, when we love our wives sacrificially, we don't love them because they're incredibly patient or great with kids or verbally affirming or anything. We love them because it will transform them. The world tells them they're useless, they're ugly, there's nothing they have to offer. We are to tell them they're valuable. Not because they've earned it, but because the love is given freely. There is nothing as beautiful in this world as a loved woman. You can see it on her face. And when a husband sacrifices his own dreams, his own desires... His own comforts for her sake. It marks her out as being special and unique. Sometimes people come to me for marriage counseling. And oftentimes in those discussions, the husband will come with his list of complaints. And he will say, my wife's no longer interested in our physical relationship. Or he might say, my wife complains all of the time. Or she's not the same vibrant woman that I married. And the reason they've come to me is he wants me to help fix the problem. And so I say, okay. So I turn to him and say, you need to take a demotion at work so you don't have to travel so much. You need to give up your Friday evening out with the guys. And you need to get up early every other morning with the kids so your wife can sleep in. And he's usually taken aback. No, no, no. I brought you, I brought, I came here to figure you can fix her. <laughs> But the point is, is there is no amount of counseling or therapy that can fix this problem. God says there's only one thing that transforms someone, and that is sacrificial love. God loves her, and now he's calling you as the husband to love her, and when you do, she'll be transformed. 
The world tells us, no, sit back and wait till she becomes somebody lovable. God says, that's a lie. Love her, not yourself, and watch it transform her. Watch her become an amazing person in God's eyes. So the first reason he tells us you want to love her in this way is that it's in her best interest. The second reason is in verses 28 to 30. Paul says, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. The first reason we are to love our wives sacrificially is is it's in her best interest. The second reason why we are to love our wives, it's in our best interest. Paul's saying here, look, husbands, you are one flesh with your wife. You are one. There is no other relationship in the world on this earth that that is true of. Our relationship with our parents, with our kids, with our friends, with our careers is not like this one relationship. You are one flesh with your wife. What that means is any investment you put into her, you reap the returns of as well. Let me give you an example of that. When Lisa and I were in seminary together, there were lots of wives who were sacrificing so that their husbands could get through school. And Lisa was no exception. She worked for two years to support us while I was in school full time. We wouldn't have made it through if she hadn't done that. But by God's grace, before she did that, I had the opportunity, God spoke to me from this passage, to sacrifice for her. And I went to work so that she could go to school at the seminary that we were at. So that we would both be able to graduate together. Lots of my friends were simply grateful that their wife had sacrificed and they were on their way. God told me, no, 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 don't be a fool. Make sure you invest in her. And to be honest, humanly speaking, that is the single best decision I ever made when it comes to doing ministry. There is no amount of classes No amount of additional training, no amount of mentoring by great pastors or by any that would have made as much difference as having a wife who's trained and equipped and loves ministry. It's the best thing I ever did. That's what Paul's saying is, look, you're one flesh. You are one flesh. Any investment you pour into your wife, you will reap the rewards of. And only the fool looks at his wife as somebody that he can take and take and take from. If you do that, you're shooting yourself literally in the foot. That if you pour into your wife sacrificially, you'll reap the benefits of it. I just finished reading a biography of some of the founding fathers of our country. And one of the people who comes out so strongly and beautifully in that biography is John Adams. It's a strong Christian man, second president of the United States. But you know what's clear in that biography? Is the person who's most important to John Adams, professionally and personally, is who? His wife. Abigail. More than Benjamin Rush, 
or George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. It's his wife is the reason why he did what he did. During that era, lots of guys were cheating on their wives. Lots of founding fathers were cheating on their wives, ignoring their wives, neglecting their wives. He made the opposite choice. He poured into his wife. He loved her the way Paul says we're supposed to love our wives. And as a result, he reaped the rewards. Nobody else was as important to him for what he did. Even selfishly speaking, Paul's saying, there's no better thing you can do than to sacrifice for your wife. But there is a third reason. It's found in verses 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see... Husbands, when we love our wives, not only is it in her best interest because it transforms her, not only is it in our best interest because we're one flesh with her, it's also in God's best interest. See, this mystery that he's talking about, this two becoming one, this sacrificial love, this union together, It not only applies to husbands and wives, but also to Christ and the church, which means that marriage is one of the greatest signs of God's love for this world that exists. That's why Satan is going so hard after marriage. He's trying to destroy it because it's a beautiful presentation of the gospel. That husbands, when you love your wives the way that Christ loved the church, we are proclaiming to this world that there is a God who loves us, not because of what we do, not because of who who we are or what we earn, simply because he's kind. You see, we think, oh, if I could become CEO of my company or if I could write a a best-selling novel or if I could become really rich, then my colleagues and my neighbors would want to know how did I become successful and then I could tell them it was all Jesus and then I could share the gospel with them. But that's not how it works. See, the world's not looking for one more successful person to tell their success story. What the world is looking for is someone who can tell the story of a God who loves them despite their sin despite their failures. We all know deep down inside we're not good enough. We all know we fall short. And when a husband loves his wife, not because she's earned it, but because God has loved him, this becomes the best gospel presentation to your kids, to your extended family, to your neighbors, to your coworkers. And so the third reason why, husbands, we are to love our wives, not through compromise, but through sacrifice, is it proclaims to this world a God who loves us in that way. So I have a couple of assignments I'd like to give this morning. First, if you are here and you are a husband... This is what I'd like for you to do today, please. I'd like you to ask your wife 
this question. How have I sacrificially loved you? Now notice it's a question. You're not telling her how you sacrificially loved her. You're asking her from your perspective, what are the things that I have done whereby I have given myself up for your sake? Not compromised with you, not worked out a fair deal, but where from your perspective I have loved you in this way. Husbands, that's your assignment. Can you do that for me? Wives, here's your assignment. Help him answer that question as kindly and gently as you can. (laughs) Remember, you're next week. (laughs) What I mean is, is that give that serious thought. Yes, someone dying for you is sacrifice, but there's also sacrifice if your husband has helped out more with the kids than your dad did. That's a great example. If your husband prays for you on a regular basis, that's an example of sacrificial love. Has your husband worked at two part-time jobs to help try to pay the bills, to be able to allow you to be able to enjoy some of the nice things in life that you enjoy? That's a sacrifice. Does your husband spend quality time with you when he could be out doing something else? Does he help around the house? Think seriously about sacrifices that he's made that are in your best interest. It's easy to think of somebody dying on a cross as a sacrifice, but there's lots of different ways in which husbands give themselves up for their wives. So wives, your assignment is when he asks you that question, be prepared to answer it as kindly and gently and as thoughtfully as you can, because that will be a blessing to him. The third assignment is for those who are here who are not married, but are at least open to the possibility, whether young or old. And the question for you is, whether you're engaged or dating or none of the above, is this the kind of man that you are? When you think about marriage, when you think about a woman, is this who you're looking for? A woman that you can pour your life out for, a woman that you can die to yourself for, a woman that you can give yourself up for, not looking for, well, who's the most beautiful woman? Who's the person I like to be around the most? Who's the one that's going to make me look the best? Who's the one that's going to be able to provide the most? But thinking about this as, am I the person who will die for her? Go home and ask yourself that question. And if you're female, The question to ask yourself in that situation is, is this the kind of man I'm looking for? Because I promise you, if you find a rich guy or a funny guy or a powerful guy or a sensitive guy or any other thing you might put on that list, you will at some point find yourself disappointed. But if you find a man who loves sacrificially, who puts others' interests above himself, you're in for the greatest blessing of your life. So your assignment, if you're not here and married and are open to that possibility, go home and ask yourself the question, is this the kind of guy I want to be? Is this the kind of guy that I'm looking for? You see, the world makes lots of jokes about marriage. 
But the God marriage is no joke. This is a powerful and beautiful institution that he refuses to give over to Satan. And he is fighting tooth and nail to bring it back into his kingdom. And the first place for that to start is with husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Not compromising with her, but giving yourself up for her. Because it transforms her, it blesses you, and it proclaims the gospel to the whole world. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the institution of marriage. We ask for your forgiveness for what we have allowed it to become. Both through neglect and our own sinful actions, we have turned marriage into some sort of partnership or compromise or something that is a perversion of what you intended to be. And God, as husbands, we stand up and say, Much of the responsibility falls on our shoulders. We have not loved as we ought to love. God, I pray that you would help us. God, I pray that you would give a vision of your love for us that we might be able to love our wives in that way. God, I pray for those conversations that will happen all over the city today as husbands and wives talk together about sacrificial love. Lord, I know no husband wants to ask this question. I don't want to ask the question. I pray you'd give us the courage to do that. And for each wife here who thinks this might be an opportunity to say all sorts of things, I pray that you would allow her in kindness and gentleness to honestly think through these things. Lord, I ask for those who are here who are not married but are open to that possibility. Lord, would you inspire them with this view of marriage? The world's view of marriage is so uninspiring. Nobody wants the world's view of marriage. But God, would you open our eyes? Would you allow people to see the beauty of how you have designed marriage? And Lord, I pray for those who are here for whom marriage is not for them. It's not something you've called them to or it's something that you have called them to, but you have taken their spouse home. God, I pray that you would allow them to see in the marriage model what you desire for them in Christ and his church. And for those who are grieving the loss of a dear spouse, someone who they are and were one flesh with, would you provide for them comfort in a unique and special way today? Lord, we ask you to do these things because you have seen for yourself that in our own power, all we do is mess this thing up. But by your grace, you have loved us unconditionally so that we might love others. Help us, Lord, to do that so that you might be glorified here and around the world. In the name of Jesus, we ask you to do these things. Amen.